one is a cancer, the other correlate amyloidosis, you get these deposits in your heart, protein deposits called amyloids. And what it causes is the walls of my heart become very thick, makes it very difficult to breathe and so forth. On occasion, you might notice I may still get out of breath. But that's no worries. That's just kind of the norm today. Okay. So I had these two terminal diseases I was diagnosed with in 2012. Now, if you take the title of my book, Failure is Not an Option, um, when I was in SWAT, there were three things I always expected of men. I served as a operator, team leader, and commander. And when I was a commander, there's three things I always asked them. You never complain, you never quit, and the mission comes first. And as it so relates let's slow to that. Vision. Can we just slow that? Are you cool with me every once in a while interrupting you to slow it sure, down? Because absolutely. that's like a like a screenshot moment. I suspect we're going to have a few of them, and there's one. Okay, which I which I already wrote them down because I anticipated that because you make it abundantly clear in here and in in the, in the conversation that we uh, first had. I took some notes. So <clears throat> never quit. Never complain. And the mission comes first. You know, I could just run with that as a mental toughness coach. I'm like, okay, well, that's pretty much it. <laughs> What's very important is as it relates to the mission, failure is not an option. Most of us never learned how to train our brains, which is why most of us needlessly settle, struggle, and worse, suffer. My name is Chris Doris, and I want to make brain training mainstream. This is my series, Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I'm interviewing badasses from all walks of life, on what mental toughness means to them and their unique approaches to strengthening their minds. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I am your host, Chris Doris, and if by chance you are not getting notified of all the new episodes of Tough Talks, and if you're not getting notified, if you're not getting my blog posts, which come out every Tuesday, and if you're not getting my daily dose messages, which of course come out daily, uh, theoretically it's 6 a.m. your time, mental toughness tips in 30 seconds or less. If you're not getting that stuff, then let's, let's ameliorate that situation, shall we? Simply by going to ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists, L-I-S-T-S. ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists. Name, email, click. Miracles. All right, so I am, I'm pretty damn pumped about our guest today, uh, former SWAT commander Jeff Nice. We have not had any SWAT commanders on Tough Talk yet. Uh, I'm super pumped to, to visit with him. Uh, I've only spent a, a, a few minutes um, with Jeff in preparation for this, and uh, let me read you his, uh, his brief bio. So, so Jeff Nice is a former member of the Montgomery County, Maryland Department of Police, Special Weapons and Tactics Team, SWAT. Uh, in his many years in SWAT, he participated in approximately 4,500 tactical operations. 4,500 tactical ops, including the takedown of the DC snipers, the discovery Headquarters, that's the, the Discovery Channel, the Discovery Headquarters Suicide Bomber Hostage Rescue Incident, and the capture of a violent group of serial bank robbers featured on America's Most Wanted. So there's some high-profile uh, ops here. So he served as an operator, team leader, and then ultimately commander 30 years in SWAT, longest in the history of the team. 
At the height of his career, he was struck down by two diseases which were deemed terminal at the time, which is, a, that's an interesting, it's a relevant caveat, deemed terminal at the time. We'll get into that. Uh, despite coding during a stem cell transplant in 2013 and suffering a stroke in 2015, he has persevered. Eight years post-diagnosis, he is in remission. And by all medical accounts, has defied the odds. This guy has more stories than anybody. Now, this is what we decided to do. He's just come out with this book. This phenomenal book, Failure is Not an Option. All right? And then you can see the subtitle there. DC Snipers Take Down, Discovery Building Suicide Bomber Hostage Rescue, and Surviving Two Terminal Diseases. We decided that we're going to do this in two parts. And the, the, the first, because that's what, like, his, the book is two parts. The first part is all the SWAT stories. And then the second part is how he uh, defeated these two terminal illnesses. We're going to flip that. So we're going to start with that, okay? We're going to start with how he, uh, how he survived. Not just survived, but how he's thriving. Where do you see this guy? He's, like, yoked up. He's all shredded. He's 62, and he's ripped. So, <clears throat> yeah, we're going to do that first. And then when we do a, a part two down the road, at some point, we're going to get to hear all the stories about the mental toughness of um, being involved in these, these, these SWAT operations. But he's got a list of seven disciplines to which he attributes his success, uh, uh, success and staying alive, not just staying alive, but then thriving. So we're going to, he's going to take us through that stuff. All right. Jeff, former commander Jeff Nice is here waiting for us. Let's go find him, shall we? Where are you, sir? And here he is, Jeff Nice. Hello, sir. How are you today, man? Great to be here. Well, I appreciate your making time, especially given you know that you know you're you're on chemo every day of your life. Is that accurate? Uh, that's pretty accurate. Yes. Yeah, which means there's days there are days where you're not feeling so great. Oh, no doubt about it. You pick and choose kind of your, what you can do at a given day. How are you doing today? Great. You look amazing. Well, thanks for the gracious words. Seriously, you look like fit as a fiddle. You look ripped up. And You exercise lot, every day, don't you? A lot to be said for exercise and, and being ill. Well, being fit mentally and fit, you're going to tell us all about that stuff. But before we get started, your background is of interest to me. We have, we've only, you and I, have only spent a few minutes uh, together, and that's typical for for guests of the podcast that I don't already know. Is we only spend a little bit of time talking about the podcast and maybe what we'll discuss. We don't plan at all very much. But when we did visit, I was interested in in what's behind you. So I thought maybe you know you, you could take us through. And, and by the way, just FYI, some people only listen to this, so they can't see what I'm seeing or what those of us who are watching the video version of this can see, but still I'm interested because I think there's probably some good stories behind you. Um, would you like me to stand up? Can I take you through this? Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be great. If you're willing. If I can, behind me is kind of a, look how in shape that guy is. This is a tribute to my team. In other words, everything I've accomplished is not my accomplishments, but what we've accomplished as a team. Yeah. First at the very top here is the shield, which is the emblem of our team. Then I've got a picture of our uh, team in front of our headquarters over uh, in Rockville. As you look to the left here, when I retired, there's some achievements uh, where the American flag was flown over uh, my honor at the U.S. Capitol the day I retired. That, that's amazing. 
And at the bottom here, I have a couple of letters from the president of uh, President Obama and President Bush, recognizing my achievements in service. Uh, uh, oh my goodness! My police. Wow. And wow. if you look here to my uh, right here, there are uh, multiple awards that I had received, including the Medal of Valor. And uh, there's an interesting magazine down here at the bottom. I think it's from Time Life, and it says the most uh, notorious crimes in American history. And it's the assassinations of Martin Luther King, John hmm. F. Kennedy, and Lincoln. The reason I have this magazine is it also includes the sniper's mouth of Muhammad. And in my book, the uh, first chapter of the book is the takedown of DC snipers. I was part of the six-man team that took them into custody. They had killed or shot 30 people in the DC region, ultimately tied to uh, uh, killing 10 people in our area, including six in my county, and were tied to uh, 23 shootings across the country. But again, that's the first chapter of the book, takedown of the DC snipers. Yeah, which by the way, you know, that, that stuff, here's the book, by the way, folks right here, so which is entitled Failure is Not an Option. We're gonna talk plenty about that. Uh, the first part of the book is, is all, it was just a, unbelievable stories of uh, missions, of SWAT missions. And your storytelling is phenomenal, by the way. I mean, you, like either you have a memory like a steel trap or you took a lot of good damn notes or both. Well, thank you. I mean, a lot of the uh, well, big events always stick out in your mind. I get, well, there's a lot of them. So, but what, what we've what we've decided to do is we're gonna we'll save those stories for around two. Because what what else the, the rest of the book, of course, is about the fact that you, which starts around chapter sixteen, page one seventy eight, actually starts a little bit before that. Actually, it does start before that. But uh, is about your experience. Having been diagnosed with not one, but two terminal, I'm using air quotes for a reason, mm-hmm. illnesses. Yes. It, na- namely, uh, correct me if I mispronounce them, please. Uh, multiple myeloma, which is cancer. Correct. Which sometimes um, results in an additional illness. Right, which is, I think, is a pronounced. I'm going to give this a whirl. I, I looked this up, but I can't pronounce it appropriately. Amelio, Amelio dose. No, I'm not saying it right. It's all good. Cardiac amyloidosis is what I have. Cardiac amelio, amelio do, <laughs> amyloidosis. It's all amyloidosis. Good. Okay. All right. Which affects what well, organs, in your case, affected your heart. Correct. Why don't you take us there? Let's start there. And, 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 and what we're going to do, so those, of, we'll just give a little uh, foreshadowing of what we're going to do here is we're going to talk about your, your diagnosis, but then your attitude and the seven principles that you uh, attribute to the fact that you are uh, not just alive, but a thrive, we'll say. And if I can, what I might do is I'll explain a little bit about the diseases and how the uh, title of this book plays into survival. Beautiful. Um, the one is a cancer. The other, a cardiac amyloidosis, you get these deposits in your heart, protein deposits called amyloids. And what it causes is the walls of my heart become very thick, makes it very difficult to breathe and so forth. On occasion, you might notice I may still get out of breath. Okay. But that's no worries. That's just kind of the norm today. Okay. 
So I had these two terrible diseases I was diagnosed with in 2012. Now, if you take the title of my book, Failure is Not an Option, um, when I was in SWAT, there were three things I always expected of the men. I served as a operator, team leader, and commander. And once a commander, there's three things I always ask them. You never complain, you never quit, and the mission comes first. And as it relates so let's to slow that, can we just slow that? Are you cool with me every once in a while interrupting you to slow it sure, down? Because that's like a, like a screenshot moment. I suspect you're going to have a few of them, and there's one, okay, which I, which I already wrote them down because I anticipated that because you make it abundantly clear in here. And in, in, the, in the conversation that we uh, first had, I took some notes. So <clears throat> never quit, never complain, and the mission comes first. You know, I could just run with that as a mental toughness coach. I'm like, okay, well, that's pretty much it. <laughs> What's very important is as it relates to the mission, failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. Now, see, let's, can we just stay with that for uh, maybe we'll stay with that for a long time because that's a big deal. Failure is not an option. Now, people have probably heard that before, heard that sentence. But that's not a sentence to you. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Can we talk? Can you talk a little bit about that? The difference between that being a, a cliche or a way of operating. Absolutely, let me apply it to uh, my terminal diseases, not so much SWAT, these are lessons learned in SWAT. Right. In other words, when I had the disease, I applied these same expectations to myself. Never complain, never quit, and the mission comes first. And I made my mission survival. And failure is not a mission as it relates to survival, so I must survive. Why never complain? Tell me about complaining because, you know, that's one of the biggest things. You don't know this. There would be no way for you to know this, Jeff, about me. But in, in my, I, uh, I actually, oh, I should have, oh, I should have worn the shirt. I have a shirt that says complaining is stupid. So it's a big part of my work. All right. But I don't want to talk too much. I want to hear it from you. Why is that like one of these never quit, never complain. The mission comes first. Why is never complaining there? It's very important because in life, if you look at things, very often things we complain about are very small in the spectrum of life. So we push them aside and simply don't complain, say that's nothing in the spectrum of life to complain about and never quit and, and, and take that kind of attitude. It's, it's a way to push forward through very minor obstacles from my perspective. Yeah. So uh, you, I, I am practicing, tell me where you're at with this. I've been practicing for years, eliminating complaining from my life, but I, but I noticed that I still do. And I, I did today. I still do, you know, about little shit. Like, you know, I send out this thing every morning called the daily dose and the service provider that I'm using for the platform, they're having some issues. And my promise is that whoever signs up, wherever you are in the world, you get it at 6am. Well, it's, they're starting to screw up and they're starting to show up at 7 a.m. Some people get it at 10 a.m. I got one at 2 p.m. So it's like, you know, I'm noticing that and I'm going, damn it. Now there's a complaint, right? Coach me a little bit. Now, I, I, and, and this is why I'm bringing this up because I want to get to the point. I, look, I'm talking about a damn email service. Who gives a damn? You're talking about life-threatening diseases, I think the good way to look at it is ultimately is that it's probably the norm for everybody to want to complain, but let's put our complaints in the spectrum of life okay. and how that relates. So in other words, an email to complain about versus 
living or dying, those are two completely different spectrums from my perspective. Right. 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 Well, so so is have you just always been that way? Like, I just don't complain. Or did you have did you practice that? Did you have some mentoring or coaching or some leadership on that? Or would you say that's a trait of yours? I just think it's something that's uh, um, instilled in us on the SWAT side of things. If you want to be successful. Interesting. Oh, very interesting. So you actually were trained on on how to like. So that's a part of attitude. Correct. It's, it's a mindset. Uh, it's very easy to complain yep. about so many things, but ultimately, in an opera, uh, tactical operation, you know, you all have to go to the same page. You can't complain about things, and we're all focused on our mission. So what do you do in the in, instead of complaining? You know, people, I don't know if you ever heard this, but I read somewhere recently, and I don't know how they ever measured this, but this is interesting. Scientists said that people, on average, complain once every 11 seconds. Well, ouch. <laughs> right? <laughs> and in my opinion, complain, well, as I've read my opinion, who cares about my damn opinion? What science shows us is that when I complain, I'm releasing chemicals that deactivate my intelligence, that make compromise all functioning, like intellectual functioning, problem solving, reaction wow. time, coordination. Right? And also, in terms of maintaining a positive attitude to push forward, it's very difficult to have a positive attitude to keep pushing forward when you complain, because I view that as a negative. So I think words, it's impossible. If you want to have a positive mindset, you need to have a, a, a belief in certain things and keep pushing forward in a, in a positive way. Now, tell me if I'm getting ahead of things here, right? Because I want, I want this to be orderly. The order is one of your things, right? is starting the day. Well, I, I want to get ahead. So there, there are seven principles. Right? Do you have a name for this? Um, and I know we were going uh, with that with the seven uh, principles in terms of uh, things that will help you with life-threatening diseases. Well, you identify the seven strategies or principles for you know, saving your life from a, from a life-threatening disease, right? From survival. Yeah, so I kind of go back to if you want a strong mindset about winning, which is what this is all about. Yeah. One thing I've also told our guys on the team is if you look at the NFL, they back in the day they had a 16 game season. If they went 14 and two, that was a great season. They'll make the playoffs. But for us, we do 200 raids and barricades a year, and our season's 200 games. I always tell the team, look, we have to uh, win every game, all 200, every year, every season, because the price of losing is too great. So what you do is you use things to reaffirm this winning attitude that you will never lose and keep pushing forward in that fashion. You know, so I do work with uh, some very large multi-billion dollar international companies that sell a lot of expensive stuff. And these are like some of the, you know, world's um, biggest and, and, and at the moment most successful companies, right? And one of their, and I work with the sales teams on mental toughness. And what you just reminded me of is, is something that to an untrained mind would sound unbelievably daunting. Because what happens in these people's worlds is they set, they have to sell more stuff than they ever did 
They got a, they have a, you know, they, the Q4, they crushed their record. They sold more, they created more revenue than they ever have before. And then they get a new quota, like the next day, they have like four hours to celebrate. And then they are given a new quota for the next fiscal year. And it's like plus 20, plus 25% of what they did last year, which is a total record. Now they're like, how, what the hell, how am I going to do that now? But, but you're saying you can afford zero losses. You have a 200 game season which means you're, you're probably going to have 200 events, right? Where people's lives are on the line. You got to win every time. And you can't lose any of them. Is that daunting? Is that scary? Is that intimidating? Is that distracting? Not, not when you have a passion for it. Not when you believe in the guys that are around you. And you made an interesting point. I'll show you another way to attack obstacles that are vast like this. Yeah. Yeah. When I was first diagnosed, uh, my treatment plan seemed very vast. In other words, I was gonna to have to go through four to six cycles of chemotherapy, then a stem cell transplant for three weeks at the hospital, and then chemotherapy thereafter to survive. If you look at this, it seems daunting. Yeah. So how do you attack that? You attack it like you do an obstacle course. When you do an obstacle course, you don't look at the whole obstacle course. What you do is you focus on that obstacle directly in front of you. And you attack that obstacle as aggressively mm. as hard as you can. Mm. And once you clear that obstacle, you regroup as a route to the next obstacle and attack that one as aggressively as hard as you can until you complete the whole obstacle course. Because if I look at what my initial treatment was, four to six cycles of chemotherapy and one cycle would be three weeks on, one week off, and then six of those, three weeks in the hospital and chemotherapy the rest of my life. Now that's daunting, as you say, looking yeah. at in the, in the entire spectrum, but attack each challenge one at a time until you clear your obstacle course. That's a way to, to, I would tell your business friends to, to attack these challenges one at a time. How does someone, you know, I'm really committed to having people leave these, these episodes, these podcast episodes with real concrete, valuable takeaways. So I like to ask a lot of how questions. You know, you mentioned, so you've got these seven principles. The first one is, and this, this is specific to recovering or surviving from, um, life-threatening diagnoses, right? And the first one, of course, is you give, you give amazing credit to the medical staff that you've interacted with I'm over very, the years. You're very, very gracious. And they are first on your list of seven, which is having, getting the best medical care. The second item, the second discipline or principle is you call patient responsibility. Now in that description, you discuss developing a strong mindset and a true desire to do whatever is needed to survive. I'd like to unpack that a little bit with you if we could. Can we, can we go there? Like uh, how? How do you recommend, how do you develop the strong mindset? How do you recommend other people develop strong mindsets? Because you know what, Jeff, we could just say, that's really the whole reason for this Tough Talks podcast to exist in the first damn place. And maybe I can take you through these principles in an order that would kind of uh, give a little more detail, if you will. Great. And I'm going to go back to uh, number one, where we talk about our doctors and have the best of medical care. I was fortunate to have uh, uh, my oncologist, John Warmock, phenomenal. Badgers, who did my stem cell transplant, phenomenal. And Richard Childs, at the time, was a captain one of them. He's now the upper rear admiral, assistant surgeon general of the United States. And he basically took the heart by the, or the bull by the horn as it related to uh, Oh, absolutely. The guy is amazing. So I can tell you, I would have died first from uh, the cardiac amyloidosis, but what he and his NIH 
that I each team did was take the bull by the horn and make sure I survived. So number one is you have to have the best medical professionals that you can find. I've got the best in the world by far. Number two is patient responsibility. So what does that mean? You develop a strong mindset to uh, push forward and do whatever it takes to get to the next level. In other words, um, you whatever it takes, you will do. And I'll, as I take you through these next uh, uh, principles, you'll see how that mindset is reinforced. Okay. Before we go there, though, there's already sure. a potential massive conflict. Uh, so there are... Um, there's a thing called attributed power, right? So for example, when you have an MD behind your name, by virtue of having an MD behind your name, you are, um, you command authority and it's deserved most of the time. There's a phrase that I heard one time and it came from a movie entitled, is a documentary called Heal, H-E-A-L. And one of the experts in the movie, it's all about people who have survived, you know, unusually, who have survived, who've healed themselves from terminal illnesses and like how. Uh, and, and the phrase was, uh, believe the diagnosis, challenge the prognosis. So you were given now, I remember the piece where uh, um, Jane, your wife, she wrote, I can't remember where exactly that occurs in here, but I, oh, I'm good. Well, there it is. I found it. Yeah, she wrote a note and, and, she, and she was talking about how, you know, how her reaction to when you were first diagnosed. And right. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, well, I think uh, kind of coming back to that is we have a diagnosis that I was going to give a choice to make. You know, wait to die or choose to live. Mm. I choose. To, that, that's I, huge. So that's huge. I got to slow that down. I'm sorry. You're, okay. This is just, you're so full of mic drops here. And, and you're given a diagnosis and that, and you you just translated that so powerfully into you've also just been given a choice to make. Life about choices. <laughs> and I believe every man is his own legacy. It matters not what happened to those before you, but what you choose to do. I believe in life, you get what you expect. I told my doctors on day one, I would be the first to survive. And I meant that. You didn't have any time. And this is because you're SWAT training, right? Your SWAT, is, it, is this accurate or not? Your, your, what, 30 years? Your SWAT right. training had prepared you so that when you were given that information, which for most humans is totally devastating, your immediate response was, okay, well, I choose to live. Exactly. So you didn't have any time. You didn't go, oh my God. And you didn't, so you never, you didn't even buy into it. You, you bought that, you ha are sick. Uh, I, I, I choose to live. And I believe once again, in life, you get what you expect. If you think you can survive, you can survive. Jeff, that is really, really critical because a lot of people without this exploration that we're doing right now, okay, I think a lot of people would hear that and go, well, look, he's a, you know, like he's a former SWAT commander, for God's sake. He was in the, you know, involved in the, present at the Discovery thing and all these other, you know, unbelievable. He's a, an outlier. He's not typical. He's not normal. But one of the things is, is, is you're, you're prepared for this. And that's the key. My message to you is that, yes, uh, I'm a SWAT guy, and that's how I have survived. But my message also is that I have lessons learned here that you don't have to be a SWAT person to, to survive. 
I mean, I have lessons learned here that will make everybody survive and develop that same mindset, regardless of whether you were SWAT or not. Well, you know, it was in the description of the discovery event, the discovery building, right? Event. At the end of it, you say, after the discovery incident, I, and I, I, I explained to people about that in the introduction, what that means. I think a lot of people know what that means anyway. I, I took away a critical lesson as a SWAT commander, the significance of training. Without question. Being prepared. Now, Jeff, I, one of the reasons that, I'm so excited to have you as a guest. This is so great. One of the reasons that I even do mental toughness for a career is my vocation. One of the reasons I do this podcast is to share with people the fact that there, what that, what you just, what that is, is the, the, the value of training. And there's multiple forms of training. One of them is here. And I want to play off what you just said because it was huge. Preparation. Yeah. yeah. Preparation is the key to success at any event. It doesn't matter if you're studying for a test, an athletic event, running a business, or a SWAT operation. So what I did was give my uh, diagnosis. I prepared a plan for survival. And I can share that plan with you. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. <laughs> you see me struggling here, man. I got so many directions I want to go with you. This is so, oh, you, I was playing off you. You're the lead. <laughs> okay. Roger that. What, what an honor. Okay. So let's go back to uh, where I first tangented, which is, okay. So you get diagnosed and your immediate response is, okay, well, I choose to survive. So let's just make our plan here. And, and there's like zero time you didn't go through the stages of grief. There, that's a huge point. You didn't have grief. You just went to, all right, new, we got a new mission. That's it. And, and, and failure's not an option. Let's get busy doing what it takes, baby. Because of the work that you've done on yourself, and I would say in this case, you correct me if I'm wrong, predominantly on your mind, it's the mind training that permitted you to have that response ability. You had the ability to respond in that moment. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It was a mindset that still How, this is. I know this is like an impossible question. I know because you're like, dude, 30 years. Roger that. <laughs> Can you give me any examples, though, of how, how did you guys train? How did you train your mind in, in your SWAT experience? Well, when you have a passion for something, which I had for SWAT, I mean, everything we ever did was about winning. And we, you know, would it be operationally? We compete a lot in, in you know, different events, and we always tend to do very well in winning those events. So it was just reaffirmed over that 30-year period, if you will, for lack of a better way of saying it. Yeah. All right, so let's go, okay, mm -hmm. sorry, did I cut you off? Let's just say that um, a lot of it is reaffirmed by the people that I'm around. I mean, yeah. um, I'm not exceptional, I'm simply reflective of the, the guys that I work with for all this team. Well, uh, okay, I hear that. You're, I can tell you're, you're very humble, but you are exceptional, and maybe a lot of that is because of who you surrounded yourself with. You are certainly exceptional. And I won't buy for a second that you're not exceptional. Unless we put it in the context that I'm simply demonstrating the exceptional possibilities that we all possess. I'm just manifesting them, right? Right? 
Like you're doing what it takes. Like, okay, so back to the attributed power. Like doctor gives diagnosis, terminal, you've got two months, two years, whatever the damn timeline is, the death sentence, so to speak. And then by virtue of that expertise attribution and the lack of decades of powerful training, then they don't have the reaction that you had. They have a complete opposite reaction than what you had. They go, oh shit, I better get my affairs in order and prepare to die. And having said that, I told you part of survival was preparation and plan. And if you look at those seven things I talked about, that's kind of relative to that plan. If you like, I can kind of... Uh, yeah, okay. I promise to shut up and let us go through these. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to reinforce the points you're making, which are very good points. How do we develop that mindset for somebody who has not been in SWAT? And I think we can develop that mindset. Well, I hope so, because I'm 52 and it's a little late for me to go into the SWAT team. So good. All right. So yeah, so let's and that, but that is joking aside. That's a really damn good point. Like it's never too late in life to to train your mind, right? It's never too late in life to train your body. It's never too late in life to to, to make any changes that have you experience not just survive, you know, a terminal diagnosis, but to thrive in life. Period. I agree. Okay, so these seven. Everything ends, you know. Yes. So we, we already discussed the best medical care. We got into patient responsibility. And I love that you term and you, you, that, that that's the terminology that you use because it's about taking ownership. And, and you make a great point because you have the best doctors in the world, but it means nothing unless you make your best, best effort as well. <laughs> right. Unless you own it. Now, did, did you have any conversations? I'm really, really fast. I think you can tell I'm pretty fascinated with like that moment when you were given the diagnosis. Did, did you have a good rapport with your physicians already at that time? Or were you just like, just meeting them? It's ironic. My oncologist, we had trained at the same gym. So I had recognized him at the gym. Oh, so, you know, wow. Right. Oh, I, yeah. I remember reading that somewhere. So, um, okay. So when he told you, what, how did he say, what was the, what was the prognosis? Well, he basically told me, the, you know, that I had this cancer and then was reaffirmed that I had the cardiac amyloidosis after I had a heart biopsy was kind of, uh, you know, the worst of everything. But the thing I've always appreciated about my doctor, and he and I have been very upfront, is he's very honest and straightforward. I told him from the get-go, look, I don't want you to, uh, you know, be uh, all comforting. I want to know the truth. Because here's about mine. The truth is, if, if I know what the truth is, then I don't know how to plan my life thereafter based on the truth. And he's always been very good about it. And he understands that I want to know the truth. Don't, you know. Did he give you any of his truth on what your prognosis was to survive? Yeah, initially it was uh, pretty short. Like how short? Uh, less than two years. And then when I had the amyloidosis, less than a year. So there was a point in time where you, told, you were told by authorities, you have less than a year to live. Correct. Did you buy that? No. That's what's amazing. You never bought into that. Nope. But you didn't have any proof to, to counter it. Because you didn't know anything about this stuff. For what? Why, you're not a doctor. Why do you know these things? I have, no, I have no medical plan. But what I could do is make an effort. And again, part of that effort was developing a plan on how I would survive those 
seven factors we're talking about. Okay, so that's factor number two is patient responsibility, taking ownership, right? In my language, not yours, is respect the diagnosis, maybe create your own prognosis. That's actually a new version of it based on you because that's what you did. That's what you did. Well, thank you for the gracious words. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. All right, number three. Positive note and sense of order. I, I love this. Take it away. This is huge. This yeah. is huge. Um, yeah. yeah. What happened is about six weeks into my treatment, you get what's called chemo brain. You're in this fog from the chemo. Yeah. And everything's in chaos. So uh, what I did is I woke up one morning and I looked at my room and my everything, my whole life was chaos. My bed was not made, clothes all over the place. So what I did is back in 2012, I made my bed. And what I found is that by making my bed, it led to other positive achievements. I then cleaned up my room and everything thereafter. That's kind of an interesting lesson learned because um, I decided that since that was making good things happen thereafter, I start my day with a positive sense of order making the bed. And interesting because in 2014, two years thereafter, a Navy SEAL, uh, Admiral McRaven, was given a speech, a commencement speech, his alma mater, Texas University. And he says, if you want to start your day on a positive note, you know, make your bed. Yeah, it'll lead to many positive. And I have to tell you, the man was spot on. He's obviously been doing it all his life, I imagine, as a kid. But for me, I didn't learn in 2012, but it was a huge lesson in terms of uh, starting the day on a positive note. You know, it's funny because I wrote that actually inspired me that I saw that um, the video of that speech, which was unbelievably amazing. And um, it inspired me to do an additional blog post, which was I took it metaphorically from uh, you're being very literal and we'll stay with it. Uh, making your bed. I, I started talking about making your head in the morning. Right. But making your mm -hmm. bed helps you make your head. <laughs> Without question, that's a good way of putting it. Right? That's Without neat. Question, I like that. Yeah, well, this is how you finish it. You said this one completed task, making your bed, will lead to many completed tasks over the course of the day, and you couldn't agree more. Okay, number four, exercise. Can't really tell if you exercise or not. What are you, 62? You look like freaking <laughs> Superman over there. What the hell is going on? Uh, just been instilled in me since a young age, but... Exercise is huge, and you make a great point. The two things I do every day has to be make the bed and exercise. What I found early on is that with the chemo, you know, when I would wake up, I was in this fog, I felt nauseous, and I had a headache. And what I found is that if I could exercise at any level for 30 minutes, even walking at an incredibly slow pace, all of a sudden that nauseous feeling would go away. The headache would go away. I would somewhat come out of the uh, uh, fog. Now I've speculated, could be or could not be, but when you exercise, endorphins are released. So I've always wondered, is it because of the happiness from endorphins, that peace of mind it brings? So two things I will do every day, make my bed and exercise in that order. Just for fun, and I know that we'll get more into this when we go back, uh, when we do round two, and we talk about the SWAT stories, but some of the, some of the stuff I just got to ask you about, like the competitions, the physical training, dude. A thousand sit-ups? Are you well, kidding me? Well, I was going to the police academy. Uh -huh. um, I knew I was not going to win the academic award. That was clear. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided I want to try to win the PT award, physical training award. Yeah. And two events were 
push-ups and sit-ups. So every Saturday I would go to the gym, I'd max out on push-ups, I'd max out on sips, doing a thousand sips, you know, on a Saturday just to one thousand sips. How many how many sets would that be about? No, it was all in one set. Wait, I don't know that you made that abundantly clear. Oh, stop it. Yes, I would go one thousand sit-ups without a break. Correct. Um, I would do a thousand sit-ups on a Saturday. Now I'd go at a very slow pace. I'd average uh, forty sit-ups a uh, uh, a minute. A minute. I mean, so it took yeah, twenty-five minutes. Yeah, so take twenty-five now, minutes. Now, just to let people know, I'm not Rain Man over here. You made you wrote that in the book. That's how I knew the math. <laughs> okay, and then what was the push-ups? Oh yeah, but so you got to the. Oh, I don't want to ruin the story. So so you got to the competition, but you had prepared for a different anticipated competition correct the day you prepared for a marathon no doubt and then the day of the uh, pt test they tell me it's as many as you do in five minutes i'm like like, oh my gosh five minutes so now i had to change my strategy so up to 60 a minute it was difficult but i pulled it off and then doing one sit up a second (laughs) (laughs) it's so ripped my goodness and then, and then what was the push-ups one? Uh, I did 232 consecutive push-ups. 232 consecutive push-ups. That doesn't even compute in my puny little brain. Well, uh, I, mean, I think th- every Saturday. So we're did you, um, you won that competition, didn't you? Uh, correct. I won the PQ award. <laughs> of course you did. All right, let's go back. We're, we're talking about exercise. So one of the two things you do every day, you make the bed and you exercise. No Absolutely. exceptions, no exceptions. Now, now let's talk about exercise because another thing, all right, look, if, for people that are looking at you, you are in, uh, you're, again, on normal curve, you're an outlier as far as fitness goes. I mean, just look at you. So um, what's your, you actually, you, this book is so cool because you have, so, you're so meticulous you have so many charts and diagrams where you outline nutrition, exercise, abbreviations, all kinds of stuff, like maps of the buildings where the, um, where the events were occurring. So uh, let's talk about, you know, like people might be intimidated by you, okay? Again, just looking at you even, they'll go, oh, well, I'm not that. And my man, you make a great point. My message to you is, for everybody to exercise at whatever level they can exercise at and feel comfortable with. Yes. Because there's a benefit to it. And I will give you an example is that, you know, while I was prime time, I used to run, you know, fast and hard. But when I became ill, I could no longer run. The only thing you could do is walk at an incredibly slow pace. But what I found is there's a great benefit to walking. So that was a lesson learned to me is that there's a great benefit to exercise at all levels, whether it be at the high level or the low level. So pick and choose what you can do at whatever level you can do. Yeah, so when you say high level or low level, you mean like of, of intensity, level of intensity, right? Not a value, because it could be, right? Because a high intensity workout could be very de- detrimental, dangerous to a lot yeah. of people, right? So just any exercise every day. And how much exercise do you do a day? Um, I walk every day and I lift every day. You, oh, really? Yeah, yeah I, I, do. I shouldn't. Why am I, oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> Try to do something every day. 
And my message too is you will feel good about it because once the endorphins are released, it gives you that natural high, so to speak, and it makes you kind of want to do it again. You know, you, you, you talk a little bit about where you say like, you know, if I can sustain exercise for 30 minutes, my head clears and the nausea uh, from chemo goes away. That's very true. Is that always true? Um, it is so much. I cannot tell you. That's why I do it every day is I realize that if I can get through that, uh, someone come out of this fog that I'm in also as well. You know, that's a, a, a really interesting point, Jeff, because it's like, I imagine since I have not had that experience, I do not know at all what it is like to be um, on chemo chemotherapy. So I cannot relate in that regard, but I can imagine that you're not feeling a whole ton of like motivation afterwards. So, okay. So like, so there's another mental point, which is like, you got to suck it up. Like to even go do like, I bet to most people who are getting chemo, the, even the notion of 30 minutes of exercise, nonetheless, daily is like, <laughs> yeah, no. And you make a great point. My message would be, okay, let's not start with 30. Let's start with five minutes. Then we go to six and we go to seven. To do it in an increment where at some level you will make your final goal, the obstacle course, 30 minutes. But you start with the initial challenge of five minutes and take it from there. What would you, what kind of advice would you give someone without any kind of softening of it or apology to like, say you're, you're going to go talk to some people at a hospital who are getting treated for exactly what you had. Uh, and, and you're emphasizing the value, the importance of exercise. And they're saying, ah, oh, but I just, I feel so exhausted and nauseous. How am I supposed to exercise? What kind of advice do you give them to say, do it anyway? I mean, take it on the smallest end. So in other words, if you're in your bed, tell me what you want to do. Okay, I'm willing to go up and go to the bathroom. That takes me two minutes to get there. Okay, let's go out and walk for two minutes. Next day, it's a walk for three minutes. Let's build from there. And what you will find, it's like anything. The more you do it, the better you're going to get. So while you may not have the confidence early on, you will find that the more you do it, the better you will get like at anything someone does. Well, and, and even if it seems obvious to you, Jeff, what's the why, right? Because there's, there's like, you know, when someone is clear on the why, oh, there's actually, a, uh, there's a book, uh, the, um, Victor Frankl's book, well, Man's Search for Meaning. Victor Frankl's a guy that survived the concentration camps in, in wow, Nazi Germany. Amazing. And he wrote a book about it. And um, one of the ways of su summarizing his book, Man's Search for Meaning, is uh, a person with a why, W-H-Y, can deal with any how, H-O-W. Right, so here we are talking about, well, people who are getting chemotherapy treatment and feel just exhausted and nauseous and like uber, uber low motivation. And, and we're suggesting, well, there are great benefits in exercise. Well, give me a why. Why, why would I do that? Even if it sounds absurdly obvious. Why? Because ultimately, um, over the course of the day, you're going to feel much better. Do you want to wake up the same way every day, feeling this bad and this low? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to do something to take yourself to a different level? And that's what exercise does. It will take you to a different level throughout the day. It's to get rid of the, all right, to get rid of the suffering, get rid of the pain and the discomfort. Number five, nutritional strategy. And this is great. Uh, um, when I was diagnosed in I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Can you hold that thought? 
Sure. I just realized I skipped something that I totally wanted. To, in fact, I put it in my notes. Sorry for the interruption. No worries. It's a terrible habit for a podcast host to have. My bad. But I feel like this is something that I wanted to talk with you about. Can you see that? Oh, yeah. Losing factor. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, that caught my attention big time. How do you say the guy's name? Ulysses. Rob Ulysses. Rob Ulysses. So, okay. Tell us about him. Why is that in the book? Rob Ulysses is a former Navy SEAL who came to our team. Yeah. When he came to SWAT, he brought so much positive change. I've always had great admiration for our elite military teams. So everything I ever did with him was a competition. I never told him that, but I was always trying to prove that I was his equal. I was never as equal with anything we did. The guy is absolutely amazing. <laughs> so sometimes we'd be at the gym, whatever it may be, I'd always compete and try to, to show I was his equal. But the guy brought so much change to the team. It's absolutely amazing. So the Ulysses factor. Oh, wow. so, you guys, so you and he had, okay, you want, you want to tell? Sure. Um, we're in the gym and we're squatting and uh, fine for reps. How many reps we get in one set? Now, I've always been pretty good at endurance. My previous record had been 45. Because Ulysses was there, I set a, record, a uh, mindset, I'm going to do 50. So I, I make my 50th rep. And as I'm about to rack the weight, he goes, what are you doing? You have one more rep. And I was cursing him in my mind. I'm like, oh, my gosh. But because Ulysses was calling me out, I had to do one more rep. So I did rep if you want, rack the weight, and then collapse the floor for about two or three minutes. And I caught the Ulysses factor because um, – even today, when I work out, I think back to that moment, and it makes me do one more rep. One more rep. One more. You know, well, I'm so fascinated with <clears throat> the whole, I don't know what the term is, but in, I read it in one of these Navy SEAL books. Like, it's like when, when, um, when you think, like, say you're doing push-ups or something, and you think you're out of juice. When your body starts telling you you're out of juice, then that's when you tell yourself, all right, well, we're almost halfway done. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the notion there is, is that we got way more in us than we think we do. And I have a personal story about that, you know, about mountain biking in, in, a, in a dangerous place in Moab, Utah, on the Slick Rock Trail. When I was, you know, I went up this hill and I didn't think I could finish it. And then I was like, OK, I got to lay the bike down. I just then I looked backwards and there was a cliff behind me that I hadn't noticed. And then, oh, wow. <laughs> Suddenly, I guess I can. You know, those stories. Right. And, and then cool research uh, on how like weightlifters, like Olympic caliber weightlifters are deceived. So they, these researchers make weight, the plates, the 45s, but they're like 50 or probably not that much more, but they're more, you know, these guys can tell tiny little differences in weight. So it's probably like 46.5 pounds instead of 45, which is a big deal when you're setting Olympic records. Oh, no doubt. So they're doing these things and they're putting up weight in these, but they don't know they've been deceived. So they think, they're convincedness. They expect that they'll, of course, be able to do this many reps because they work out with it. But they're wrong. They're throwing up more weight than they ever have, but they don't know it. I like it. They're expecting. So that what, that, what these, there's tons of research like that, which is all about this that you keep talking about, which I love so much. Uh, you, you know, the, in life, you get what you expect. We are going to elaborate on that when we get to it, for sure. We, we will not hang up without talking about that because I think that that's like everything, right? What we expect, one more rep. There's more in the tank than we think. No I'm doubt. gonna call that the listening factor from now on. <laughs> no doubt.
<laughs> All right. Now I cut you off earlier. Nutritional strategy. No, I'm glad you came back to your listening fact. That's huge. Yeah. In terms of the impact it's had on me and the team. So nutritional strategy. Uh, when I was diagnosed in August of 2012, early August, my mom also had cancer and she died that same month, late August. And what I didn't realize is I had learned a lot of lessons in my mom's struggle with cancer. Mm. And what I saw is that when there were gaps in treatment, um, her health deteriorated big time. So I decided for myself, I would never have a gap in treatment. Now gaps in treatment can occur for two reasons. Sometimes your labs are not up to par, be unsafe to administer the treatment, or sometimes people can't tolerate the treatment. Now it's not uncommon with chemotherapy to have your labs drop off. So I decided when my labs dropped off, I would research and find how I could improve my labs and nutrition. So I'll share with you those lessons if I can. In particular, my platelets dropped. I found that omega-3s increase your platelets. For two weeks, I ate nothing but salmon, and my platelets were back in the norm. You, you only ate salmon for two, only? For, for, uh, uh, for dinner. Yeah, okay, okay, got it, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, creatinine levels, that's related to kidney function. And what I found is that I drank lots of water and ate berries, especially raspberries, strawberries, blue uh, blackberries. Two weeks later, my creatinine levels were back in the north. Where did you learn these things? Like, I went online to see how to uh, uh, improve them. You, you yeah, just, yeah. See, that, that's a, all right, that's a slowdown moment. And this has come back to- That's uh, the responsibility, patient responsibility. Exactly, right there. Good point, number two, patient responsibility. You're taking response, you're not waiting for the world to tell you what to do. Without question. And number three, uh, alkaline phosphate, ALT, uh, um, and AST, all related to liver function, were high. And what I found is that by drinking water and lemon juice, they all came back to normal within two weeks. And here's a good one related to uh, water and lemon juice. Yeah. It also makes your glucose levels uh, even, which is good for fat loss. You get a double bonus. When you say, okay, okay. Uh, I'm totally getting ahead of ourselves, but I can't help it's it. It's okay. I, yeah, it's okay. Thank you for saying it's okay. Thank you for that. So that's very validating. Um, we may or may not get to it, but you're big time into intermittent fasting, and that's a huge thing. We probably should get to it. Now, when, when you do the, the water and lemon juice, do you do you use an actual fresh lemon and squeeze it into the water? That's a great question. What I have found is I can take the concentrate. I can just take the water with the concentrate that you shoot out of that little container. Yeah. And I, if I do, it works all the time. And the AST, L, ALT, and alkaline phosphate are back in the norm. So, you, so, so there are healthy ver brands of lemon juice that don't have nastiness in them, and you can just squirt the juice into your, and that counts. Correct. Does well, that interrupt, does that screw up the intermittent fasting? Uh, that's a good question. We talk about that. I'll talk about that a little bit in, in a minute here. Can I? Throwing one other thing related to nutrition. You're, you have the calm. <laughs> well, I guess this is important for, because uh, these are things people can do. As we get older and exercise, I'm sure you experience it, we all suffer from inflammation. Yeah. And inflammation can lead to many diseases. And it's worse when you have cancer. So you want to find out how to reduce inflammation. The spiced turmeric, when mixed with pepper, will help reduce inflammation. Pepper for absorption. Garlic, onions, scallions, all reduce inflammation. So my message is, incorporate all these things into your diet daily, 
to, to have the best that you can in terms of surviving these diseases, patient responsibility. You know, I have a former guest who, if, if by chance, Laura, you're listening to this, uh, she, I hired her, she was my um, health coach, which included, but was not limited to nutrition. Uh, just a couple hours ago, I took a curcumin, whatever it is, it's turmeric and pepper pill. I take it, I eat those every day and I have water with lemon juice in it every day because of her guidance. So when I was reading this in the book, I thought, oh, this is really good. I, I, I feel like I'm doing some healthy things. These are so simple. And, and once again, the things you can do to help yourself, self-advocate. So there's so many, God, there's so many great points here is that self-advocating, patient responsibility, doing your own research, but it always comes back to, no matter how many tangents you and I go off on, it's always going to come back to your expectation. Without question. Because if you expect to die, you're not doing any damn research. There's no doubt. Right? You're just tuning out. Beautiful, beautiful nutrition. So by the way, folks who are listening and watching, um, Jeff does a phenomenal, I highly recommend, look, I've had this book for only a few days and I've already marked it up all over the place. He's got, you know, all the nutritional suggestions and exercise, you know, outlined. Let's go to um, number six of seven of the thriving disciplines. I'm calling them that support of family and friends. And without question, when you're uh, hit hard, support of family and friends is huge. Probably the biggest single act that occurred is I had a stroke in 2015 from the chemo is on. And if you go to page 166, Brian Dillman gave me a uh, copy of the book Unbroken, Laura Hillebrand. And he wrote in there a message. I can't tell you how powerful that message is if you choose to share it. It's Wait a minute. It's the great highlight. On 160, oh, oh, okay, I went to 167. Okay, I should mean, I read it? He gave me unbroken, and you can kind of clarify who Louis Zamperi is, but what he wrote there is absolutely amazing to me. Shall I read it? Sure, I'd love for you to. Jeff, I thought it was only appropriate that I give a true warrior a book to read about another warrior. You are the strongest individual I've ever known, both physically and mentally. This book reminds me of you. You are my real life Louis. This stroke is nothing more than another one of the many obstacles that have been put in your path that you have defeated. Keep your chin up, continue to fight, and persevere like you always do. I love you, my brother. God bless, Brian. And I guess my message from you is this. No matter what, we will always get knocked down. We will always get back up. But it's a lot easier to get back up your feet when someone's picking you up as Brian did right there. So Brian, he, so he's, the book he's referring to was Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand? Correct. And she was talking about a guy named, I don't know if it's Louis or Louis, Louis Zamperini. An Olympic athlete who was shot down in the Pacific during World War II. And his, uh, survived a month and a half adrift yeah. in the ocean. Yep. And then he was a prisoner of war. Wow, I might check that book out. I might, should I get that book? <laughs> you think? Without question. And my message is that family and friends have no idea what it means when you're really struggling to push on to that next phase. Just those kind acts and words can, can really help big time. It's incredible that you knew that was on page 166. Only because of what he had done for me. It's amazing. He was my counterpart in SWAT. He was the other SWAT sergeant. 
one of my best friends. And finally, the seventh of the seven uh, thriving disciplines, spiritual belief. Yeah, Which I've I gotta say, I think some people might be surprised at, uh, you know, from the SWAT commander. I don't know if that's- yeah, I've never been super religious. I rarely go to church, but I've always believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in divine intervention and okay. I'm here because of his divine intervention. I guess from my perspective, um, is that it's good to believe in a higher power and to pray to that higher power. And for me, that higher power is always delivered for me. So it's, it's to me, that's the most important of the seven. Let's talk a little bit about uh, intermittent fasting because you researched that also on your own, yes? And that's a great point. And I had gone five years uh, on chemo, but still was shy of reaching uh, the uh, remission phase. I mean, I had stem cell transplant and they took me from the death's doorstep to just shy of remission, but I never reached it. In 2017, I felt like I was getting real numb to the world and that the chemo fog was destroying me. So I met with my doctor and we figured out ways to uh, reduce the chemotherapy I was taking. So we went from going on three weeks on and one week off to two weeks on and one week off. So that would reduce the frequency and the amount of chemo received over the course of a year. But I also had studied uh, fasting because I saw that there was online, I looked at about 20 studies from Hopkins, Mayo Clinic, NIH and others. Yeah. And there was research that showed that fasting could slow the spread of existing cancer, prevent cancer and help take you out of this chemo fog you're in. It was also supposed to help with the radiation chemo treatment. So I thought, you know, I need to do something to try to detox myself. So why did I experiment? Initially, I was fasting three days a week for 16 hours. All so my food. You don't eat anything between what? Well, for I guess eight hours. You eat everything between the eight hours in an eight hour period. I made a great point earlier about the lemon juice and water. When it comes to fasting, I don't add anything. No lemon juice to the war. I don't take any of my meds, nothing. The only thing I take in that eight hour period is water. Um, no, the, the only thing that you take in the 16 hour period, right? I'm talking about the... Uh, so you're intermittent the, fasting. So what would, let me, let me break I'm, this down. So you, you would start, like, what, what, give me an example, like, so eight hour period, like, so like eight to 4 p.m., you would eat. Correct. 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. You would eat nothing from 6 p.m. We'll say to the following morning at 10, we'll say, for 16 hours. Right? Thank you for correcting me. You're right. It's through the fasting. Well, I've been thinking this through because, I, because I'm fascinated by it. Is that uh, I would not take any meds or I wouldn't do anything that would infect my uh, digestive system and affect the fasting. It's nothing but water, black coffee, or black tea with nothing in it. Oh, okay. So, so water, plain water, no lemon. Correct. Because the lemon ends it, the fasting. Correct. Okay. That, that, okay that's so, and after having experimented, I did a whole bunch of things. I fasted uh, 36 and 48 hours just to kind of figure out what would work best. Ultimately, I found that fasting 12 to 14 hours for me is what worked best. It was tolerable. And this allowed me to have the energy to still work out and train. I yeah. did this for three months straight. 
14 hours every day. And for the first time in my life, that pushed me over the finish line. I reached remission. So you're doing, oh, wow. Okay, wow, right, wow. <laughs> like that's the variable. That's the variable? That was the one that, the doctors were phenomenal. Don't get me wrong, they're phenomenal. But right. I was shy of remission. And I feel like the fasting took me over that finish line. Yeah, but you so were teaching the doctors. You were teaching the doctors about uh, intermittent fasting. You were telling me, like one of those well, guys, I, like I a teacher, you're like, my results, eh, maybe I'll do that. I shared my results with my oncologist, Badgers, and Admiral Childs. And they all were impressed and said there is uh, evidence out there that the fasting can help. So I guess my message is that fasting can be a, a good health benefit. Yeah. And well, again, this comes yes. back to uh, patient responsibility. You were teaching yeah. your own doctors. Um, well, I don't, I don't want to take it so far that I'm teaching them. I have this lesson learned from me in terms of getting over the edge. So, I'm just saying what I read in your book. Okay. Just saying. I hear you. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I hear uh, you. Well, thanks for the kind word. I just like to. <laughs> no, but that's a good thing. Alive. In addition to being complimentary to you, it's actually very powerful because by taking damn responsibility, you went out. Well, you made the decision. It comes back to your expectation. I decide I live. Failure is not an option. Let's go get do what it takes. Part of what doing what it takes is educating yourself. And you spread the wealth. You're sharing what's working. And your doctor are going, well, isn't that great? Yay to that. Let's take that seriously. And you're expanding their ability. Now you, by taking patient responsibility, are enhancing their ability to do what they do amazing, even maybe more amazingly. And that's spectacular. And what I showed you, I now fasted for three years every day, 12 to 14 hours, and for three years straight, I've been in remission. Every, so, so what time, so what is your, like right now, your timetable when you stop eating every day? Typically, um, I stop somewhere between six and seven o'clock, okay. so at night. So all I have to do is make it till six or seven the next morning to make it 12 hours, but usually it goes a little further to the 13 or 14 hour time span, but when I don't do find you it do your exercise. First thing in the morning. So, oh, so, so you, it doesn't matter that you don't have any nutrients. You, you're, you're, you work out anyway. That's a great question. Usually I get up at seven o'clock and at seven, I go uh, straight to the bagel shop and I get a turkey sandwich and I have a turkey sandwich and then I work out thereafter. So wait, you're out of the intermittent phase though, right? Yeah. At 0700 is my 12 hour time limit. And gotcha. by the time I get my sandwich, Gotcha, and I'm back gotcha, to you gotcha, about gotcha. So you do, you do, you get a little nourishment you, you, at the end of the intermittent phase, you go get some nourishment, you go work out. Absolutely. All right. This is so cool. Okay. So let's wrap it up with, with what I think is perhaps, uh, it's hard to finish that sentence even. I was going to say the most important takeaway, which I, there's no way I could ever prove that. There's so many great takeaways. One of them I'm is- sure you're important What's that? Is survive. A poor takeaway is survive as long as you can. Because if you look at uh, through novel drugs and clinical trials, from where I started, when I started for the cancer, survival rate was three to four years. By surviving, survival rate is now um, at five year mark, five years, and 10% survive uh, 10 years or more. When I started for the amyloidosis, survival rate was less than eight months undiagnosed, and I survived two years. Now, the survival rate at 10 years is 4.7%. And I've survived 10 and a half years. But my point is, if you survive, the medical pressure will help you get along even further. 
Okay, so it's a perfect segue into the last point that I wanted to re-articulate it because we've hit on it a couple of times, which is your quote, which is, in life, you get what you expect. In life, we get what we expect. What do you, how do you, so how would you elaborate on upon that? If someone says, okay, uh, what do you really mean by that, Jeff? I think uh, if you expect to uh, do well at things, you do, will do well at things. I also think it's important to uh, associate with people who are positive and uh, moving in a forward direction. I've always believed that you're, you're only as good as the people you associate with. You know, I, you know, I couldn't agree with that more, but, but, I, but I have this internal debate with myself all the time. Like if I go up on my roof and I tell myself I expect to fly. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, you think I'm gonna pull that off ever? I hear you. I don't know, I can't say no. I can't say it's impossible. Like I'm not in a position to say that's impossible. Like people do levitation and weird shit. Uh, I'm not gonna do that. But I guess I, I can't convince I would ask myself. you though, mm -hmm. would you truly expect you could fly from your that's roof? That's what I was just gonna I mean, say. say, exactly. Is I, so, you know. so I mean, I guess your, your expectations, they have to be uh, expectations that uh, um, can be done because I expect it to survive. Well, I don't I know, guess though. you see, that's the thing is though, this is an interesting thing, right? It's like you, are, you defied the odds, man. You defied medical odds. So like there would be a lot of reason. In fact, there's a hell of a lot more supportive evidence, okay, that you should have, you should be dead. Oh, no doubt about that. No doubt about that. Okay, so you still somehow managed to get yourself in. Well, we'll say we'll clear up the mystery behind that. The somehow is 30 years of training your mind in SWAT, not anticipating that you're going to apply it to your survival from, you know. I would say this, is that surviving the odds, I've always, or, you know, when you have things really stacked against you, instead of seeing that as something negative, I see that as an opportunity, an expectation. I see as the bigger the odds, the bigger the opportunity to, to come through and prove something that was wrong or different in your favor. Yeah, so like talking about the sales folks, it's like, all right, what your options are, like you've just been given a new quota, you're still choosing to keep this job. So you're in the job, you're not quitting, and you're going doing something else. So what are your, what's your choice? Choice is prepare to fail, decide that you'll thrive and get busy doing what it takes, even when you don't know how. And that's one of the things I, I love most about your story is uh, is you got all in. That's my language. I use all in language. Like that's all in. You are infinitely committed. That's all that means. You're infinitely committed. And you got that committed before you had the specifics to the answer, how are you going to defeat this terminal times two set of conditions? You didn't know how yet. You decided that you would prior to having full clarity on the how. That my friend is powerful. That is the definition of mental toughness. And uh, I thank you for doing that. Uh, and choosing to thrive, not just to survive, but to thrive, because I get to share you with my audience. Well, I thank you for the opportunity to let me share these lessons I have, because I think it's beneficial to a lot of people, particularly those suffering from life-threatening diseases.
Amen to that. Or not even. Of course, yeah. Yeah. People who are who are being diagnosed or I have been recently diagnosed with the, I think that their ears are truly perking when they listen to all this, but you don't have to be dealing with a life-threatening diagnosis for this to be of value. This applies to any decision that you want, anything that you want, right, in your life. Get committed. And I would say one last thing. Yeah. Never complain, never quit, and failure is not an option. And I believe that conquering this cancer and amyloidosis will be my finest hour. Amen to that. Thank you for your inspiration. Jeff Nice, folks, uh, failure, his book, Failure is Not an Option, subtitle, The DC Sniper's Takedown, Discovery Building Suicide Bomber Hostage Rescue, and Surviving Two Terminal Illnesses, available on Amazon. I can't wait for round two, my friend. Thank you so much for gracing us with your, 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 your wisdom, your courage, uh, and your practical um, knowledge. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It was great. Well, uh, I look forward to, to uh, session number two. Under that. <laughs> so gracious, right? The guy, I mean, how many times during the interview did he say, oh, that's a great point. It's a great point. You're bringing a great point. You're so nice. Jeff Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Uh, I can't recommend. Th this book is fascinating I mean, on, on two levels, right? On two levels. The beginning are all these incredible stories. The DC snipers, that's where it opens with the DC snipers. I mean, these are amazing stories. The guy's a SWAT commander, he's telling these stories. Incredible detail, the dude loves telling those stories. And then what we, what, what we talked about today in episode one of our Tough Talks interview series with uh, former commander Jeff Nice uh, was dealing with uh, terminal diagnoses, diagnoses. I should say diagnoses, E-S, not I-S. Yeah, and, um, and, and how powerful, you know, I mean, he hit on some of what I consider to be the most critical and fundamental um, defining elements of mental toughness, which all starts with your expectations. What are your beliefs? Right? We're always examining our beliefs in mental toughness training. Our beliefs govern how our lives unfold, right? So what we're expecting, I, God, I love that he uses that language. It's, it's just couldn't resonate more with me. You know, we, we, we create what we expect. So what are we expecting? Good stuff. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in. As always, until next time, create miracles.